I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. On a pristine summer day in 1997, with azure skies and crisp mountain air, Lance Butler and his visiting friend drove into the Rockies, west of Denver, to try their luck at the casinos. Butler maneuvered his car carefully along Highway 6, a winding mountain road that hugs the edge of a cliff. Towering peaks rose up on either side of him, and a rushing river roared below. They were bound for Central City, a gold rush era mining town turned magnet for out-of-town tourists and local degenerates. The recent college grads were just three miles outside of Golden when Butler's friend caught a glimpse of rushing water outside the passenger side window. It was Clear Creek, one of countless streams that over a million years have formed the area's massive stone canyons. Let's dip our feet in, the friend suggested. Butler found his friend's request unusual, but he didn't want to disappoint him. Butler pulled over at the next turnoff, hoping it would allow them access to the fresh water below. It'll be cold, he warned. Undeterred, the pair exited the vehicle and stretched their legs. They made their way to the edge of the steep riverbank, where the creek was 30 feet below them. The hill was covered in sharp rocks, making it impossible to climb down. As the two searched for a safer route to the water, Butler's friend came to a sudden stop. The mountain air suddenly felt ice cold. He covered his mouth and pointed, saying, There's a body down there. 
At first, Butler didn't want to believe him, but a glance toward the water's edge showed him this was no joke. There, wedged between two rocks, was the body of a half-naked female dressed only in blue jeans. The friends moved slowly along the rim until they stood directly above the body. They were thinking about climbing down to get a closer look when they spotted something else. A dark red stain in the grass, a pool of blood nearly two feet around. Their worst fears confirmed, the young men sprinted back to the highway to get the attention of passing vehicles. Fortunately for them, it was Saturday and the road was saturated with casino buses and cars full of would-be gamblers. A female driver pulled over first, but the high canyon walls prevented her from using her car phone. Instead, they got back in their cars and agreed to drive until one of them could find a phone or get a signal. At that point, other tourists had spotted the commotion and pulled over to get a glimpse of the unidentified body themselves. Around the same time Butler and his friend made their grim discovery, a young mother in Denver was en route to the police station to file a missing persons report. Angela Metzger's 14-year-old daughter had not returned home the night before, and she was extremely worried. The teenage girl's name? Randy Duvall. Not long after filing the report, Angela received a phone call. It was the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department, and they wanted to meet her at the station. A lightning bolt of fear shot down Angela's spine. In a state of panic, she tried to convince herself that Brandy was simply in trouble or injured. But when she arrived at the sheriff's office, any hope of a happy ending was quickly dashed. There, on a cold slab in the coroner's office, lay her daughter, two months shy of her 15th birthday. Her injuries told the tale of a merciless crime, rape, torture, stabbing, and blunt force trauma. Who could have committed such a monstrous act? The answer would shock an entire country. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I look into the 1997 case of Brandy Duvall. Ask anyone what the five greatest cities in America are. Chances are, Denver will be left off of the list. However, despite playing second fiddle to the likes of New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Miami, the Mile High City has developed an impressive resume all its own. Denver is home to five professional sports franchises, 10 Fortune 500 companies, 100 museums, multiple premier concert venues, and the nation's busiest airport. It's the birthplace of Chipotle Mexican Grill and Coors Brewing Company. And for the visitors seeking a different trip, there are over 175 retail weed stores and a burgeoning psychedelics industry. Situated at the eastern gateway to the Rocky Mountains, Denver is a sprawling city, its metropolitan area covering over 10,000 acres in three counties. A mecca for those wanting an active lifestyle, residents enjoy easy access to some of the greatest ski slopes in North America, not to mention hundreds of lakes, rivers, and Rocky Mountain National Park. 
Despite its proximity to the Rockies, the weather in Denver is surprisingly mild, if unpredictable, and prone to wild swings. Locals like to joke that it'll be 75 and sunny one minute and 35 with snow flurries the next. It's proven to be a popular draw for Americans fleeing the crowded coasts. The Denver metro area has seen its population jump from just over 1 million in the late 1980s to nearly 3 million today. Real estate values have risen equally as fast, with the median price Denver home now going for around $600,000, making the Denver area one of the most expensive urban areas to live in all of the Midwest. Like most Mountain West cities, Denver was founded by speculators in search of the American dream. Established in 1858 during the Pikes Peak Gold Rush, the site was chosen by General William Larimer, who staked a claim near two major rivers. Larimer named the town after James W. Denver, then governor of the Kansas Territory. Denver quickly grew as a supply hub for the miners who were flocking to the Rocky Mountains in search of gold and other precious metals. Its proximity to the Overland Trail, which connected the eastern United States to the west coast, also made it a transportation hub, a title Denver still maintains today. Following its incorporation in 1861, Denver became the capital of the newly formed Colorado Territory. The arrival of the railroads in the 1870s made the city even more accessible, and the discovery of oil and natural gas in the early 20th century further boosted its robust economy. Current residents earn a median income of over $80,000, well above the national average. With its success and growth have come two realities of life in a big city, drugs and crime. A midway point between Chicago and Los Angeles, not to mention Houston and Seattle, Denver is central to the South American and Mexican drug trades. With billions at stake, gangs from cities like Los Angeles and Chicago set up outposts in Denver starting in the 1970s and exploding in the late 1980s with the arrival of crack cocaine. Among the gangs to make the move to the Mile High City, the notorious Crenshaw Mafia Gangster Bloods. Named for South Central LA's Crenshaw Boulevard, the gang set up roots in Denver's Park Hill neighborhood, quickly using force to consolidate power. Badly outnumbered by established crip sets, the purely African-American enterprise began welcoming people of all colors and ethnicities. This brought Mexican-American brothers, Danny and Antonio Martinez, to associate with the Crenshaw Mafia gangster Bloods in the early 1990s. The two siblings and another adopted brother, Francisco, were recruited by their sister's boyfriend when they were teenagers. Gang members found the brothers ripe for the taking. It didn't matter that their small California street home sat in the heart of Cripps territory on Denver's west side. The trio, Danny, Antonio, and Francisco, would eventually form their own set of the Crenshaw Mafia gangster bloods. They called it the Deuce Seven, a nod to their home address, 2727 California Street. On a summer night in 1997, they'd have a hand in one of the most vicious crimes in Denver's history. 
Quitting bad habits is difficult, but with Fume, there's an innovative solution to transform the way you conquer bad habits. Fume looks at the problem differently. Not everything about a bad habit is wrong, so why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an award-nominated device that does just that. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses all natural delicious flavors. Basically, instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your Fume device is equipped with an adjustable airflow dial and thoughtfully designed with movable components and magnets to keep your fingers engaged, providing a unique blend of relief from stress and anxiety while you work on breaking that stubborn habit. My good friend said she was pleasantly surprised by the rich flavors that Fume offers, and she really liked how well-balanced and perfectly weighted the device was in her hand. Not to mention the real wood construction. The device is beautiful and makes for such a cute accessory. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. Join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use code MURDERISH to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code MURDERISH to save an additional 10% off your order today. Brandeline Rose Duval was born July 28, 1982, in Denver, Colorado. Shy and small in stature, the little girl they called Brandy had a difficult upbringing. Her father took off not long after she was born, leaving her mother, Angela Metzger, to support young Brandy alone. Fortunately for Brandy, she had two loving grandparents, Paul and Rose Vasquez, who showered the brown-eyed brunette with clothes and toys. Her mother remarried a short time later and gave birth to Brandy's half-brother, Tim. The two siblings were constantly at odds, as were Brandy and her stepfather, Carl. When things at the household went sideways, Brandy escaped to her grandparents' home just a few neighborhoods away. In spite of the challenges at home, Brandy made the honor roll as an eighth grader at Rischel Middle School and was looking forward to enjoying the summer before her freshman year of high school. Raised by two working parents and caring but naive grandparents, teenage Brandy was regularly without supervision. She drank alcohol, smoked marijuana, and even tried cocaine. But all who knew Brandy described her as caring and kind, someone who looked out for her loved ones and cherished her mother. Stephen Jackson, a staff writer at Westward, a Denver-based alternative weekly newspaper, detailed Brandy's death in a six-part series released in 1999. He said of Brandy's mother, Angela, She knows that as the blood poured out of Brandy, her last thoughts were that if she could just get to her mother, she would be all right. Angela said her daughter was wise beyond her years, but suffered from low self-esteem. When she went swimming, she would wear jeans and almost drown rather than show her body. Despite their mutual affection, 
Angela and Brandy's relationship was more like that of best friends than of a mother and daughter. As a result, Brandy grew up quickly, learning to be independent and street smart. And like most teenagers, she felt invincible. On the night of May 30th, 1997, Brandy left her home in Denver around 6 p.m. to hang out with her friend Patrice Bowman. An avid sports fan who loved basketball in particular, Brandy donned a bright red Chicago Bulls jersey bearing the number of her favorite player, Michael Jordan, number 23. Patrice and Brandy convinced a man they met at a bus stop to buy them a six-pack of beer in exchange for one in return. The girls shared the remaining five beers, topping off their buzz by smoking a joint they'd scored from a friend. They laughed, talked about boys, and laughed some more. Stoned and tired, Brandy said goodbye to Patrice around 11.30 that night and headed to a bus stop on South Federal Avenue to catch a ride to her grandparents' house, about 10 minutes away. Brandy, dressed in a red jersey, black shorts, and red black and white Nikes, was hard to miss under the bright street lights. At around midnight, as she waited for her bus to arrive, a car filled with Do Seven Bloods drove past. The gang members, spotting the red-colored outfit, made a quick turn, cruising around the block and back to the bus stop. They asked Brandy if she wanted to accompany them to a house party. Why Brandy got into the car that night remains a mystery, but the consequences of doing so would soon be devastatingly clear. Danny and Antonio Martinez's mother, Teresa Swinton, was only six years old when her mother left her father. Teresa's mother moved with her seven children, five girls and two boys, into their grandparents' two-story home near the corner of 27th and California Streets in Denver. An uncle Teresa never knew purchased the place for his parents shortly after he was killed in action in World War II. It was the childhood home of her mother, aunts, and uncles. The house rested on the edge of a section of the city known as Five Points, the hub of black cultural and social life. Long a culturally diverse neighborhood populated by immigrants, the collection of small stucco and brick homes on California Street had always been well kept. That began to change in the 1980s when the arrival of crack cocaine turned the Five Points area upside down. Gangs eventually split up by race and claimed the inner city block by block. Today, 2727 California is surrounded by some of Denver's toughest streets. But when Antonio and Danny's mother, Teresa, grew up there in the 1960s, there were no vagrants shuffling down the sidewalks or crack dealers standing in the shadows. The drug addicts that did exist stayed out of sight. Jackson, whose reporting on Brandy Duvall's murder would be made into a full-length novel, wrote of the area. Sometimes the kids would hear rumors about a pimp shooting another pimp or beating up a prostitute. Maybe someone's junkie husband, son, or brother would overdose, necessitating a call for an ambulance and sparking a rash of gossip. But it was the grown-ups doing the crimes, not the kids, not yet. Married at 16, Teresa was 17 when she gave birth to her first child, a baby girl named Raquel. 
Danny came one year later, and Antonio 18 months after that. The kids' father was no role model, in fact, just the opposite. Under a variety of aliases, Danny Martinez Sr. was arrested 31 times on charges ranging from gun and drug possession to grand theft auto, burglary, and assault. Teresa eventually found a way out for herself and her three children. She married an Air Force airman by the name of Bill Rollins and moved the family to California. Bill loved the kids and took good care of Teresa, but it all happened too fast. Teresa, always the wild one in her family, graduated from youthful experimentation to a serious cocaine and meth addiction. Her preferred mode of delivery, the needle. Despite Bill's affection, Teresa's priority soon became the drugs. Try as he might to keep the family together, Bill came home one day to discover that Teresa had taken the children and returned to Denver. The boys moved back into 2727 California Street with their grandparents, and Teresa found a place of her own. By that time, she was a full-blown junkie. While she managed to keep food on the table with the help of her parents and by bartending, Teresa's parenting was lacking. She was too high, too detached to notice that her young sons were being recruited into one of Denver's most dangerous street gangs. And by the time she did, it was already too late. I know I'm wasting money on that one subscription that I signed up for months ago to watch that one true crime docuseries and never used again, but figuring out the name of the app and canceling it is the last thing on my mind. And that's where Rocket Money comes in. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Many of us are shelling out around $80 per month on subscriptions, but the actual figure often approaches $200. It's all too easy to lose track of what you're paying for when you sign up for numerous services, from streaming platforms you used one time to forgotten free delivery trials. Rocket Money is the solution that simplifies subscription management with a single click. Say goodbye to endless hold times and going back and forth with customer service. Rocket Money handles all of it for you. Rocket Money can even negotiate to reduce your bills by up to 20%. Just snap a picture of your bill and Rocket Money handles the rest. Rocket Money also consolidates all your expenses in one convenient location, devises personalized budgets based on your spending history, and sends alerts when you approach your spending limits. Join the growing community of over 3 million satisfied Rocket Money users who are saving an average of $720 every year. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com murderish. That's rocketmoney.com murderish. Rocketmoney.com murderish. Are you tired of battling through the dreaded pre-period week or struggling with menopause symptoms? It's time to reclaim control with Estro Control. When I'm not feeling like myself, I'm not able to show up as my best self for my family, my friends, or my podcast team. 
Luckily, I found Estro Control. The formula is designed to make that time of the month a breeze so you can finally feel like yourself again. And for those battling through menopause or perimenopause, Hormone Harmony is here to help. With their science-backed adaptogenic blend, you can conquer hot flashes, low moods, poor sleep, and more. Happy Mammoth, the company behind Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Join the thousands of women who swear by Happy Mammoth's products. It says something that a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Plus, the adaptogenic blend helps your body adapt to hormonal changes naturally. Whether you're dealing with PMS woes or menopause struggles, Happy Mammoth has you covered. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code MURDERISH at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code MURDERISH for 15% off today. The Crenshaw Mafia Gangster Bloods were founded on 104th Street and Crenshaw Boulevard in Inglewood, California in the late 1970s. Their expansion east in the mid-1980s is largely attributed to the Lockett family, small-time L.A. hoods who made Denver their domain. According to Jackson, the CMG Bloods split Denver by race and territory. CMG on the east side of town was predominantly black and claimed the Park Hill area down to Aurora and into Montebello. They'd turned some neighborhoods into battle zones in their perpetual fight with the Crips, the first of the two big California gangs to bring their guns and crack cocaine trade to Denver. A member of the Lockett family first met Danny, Antonio, and Francisco Martinez while dating the boys' older sister, Raquel. In them, he saw the perfect recruits, young, lacking direction, and lacking a father figure. It didn't take much to initiate the Martinez brothers into the gang lifestyle. They began dressing in red, wearing red bandanas, throwing up gang signs, and speaking in gangster lingo. They also earned nicknames, Boom and Bang for Danny and Antonio, after the sound a gun makes, and Poncho for Francisco. Danny, in particular, embraced the role of a gangster. Growing up, he'd always been the brother most prone to fight. His affinity for violence impressed blood leaders, who turned 2727 California into a drug house and put Danny in charge. So disgusted was Teresa with her son's new lifestyle, she moved across Denver to live with a friend, but not for long. After 15-year-old Antonio shot a rival gang member on Easter Sunday in 1989 in the alley behind their home, Teresa moved back in. She didn't want to, but it was the only way that she could keep an eye on Danny. Even after the shootout, Danny refused to go, though he knew that the home was surrounded by crips, putting him in danger every time he left the front door. To make matters worse, the boys' grandmother let them do whatever they wanted. Jackson wrote, 
If Teresa complained, her mother would tell her in front of the boys, you were just as wild when you were young. Leave them alone and they'll grow out of it. Instead, they grew into it. Before long, the boys were making enough money selling crack to buy their mother a new car and themselves expensive clothes and jewelry. It changed them. Teresa said, money is power and he and his brother Antonio had a lot of power on the streets. It's weird. They wanted respect, but the only way they got respect was through fear and guns. They always had guns on them. During the time Antonio was away in a juvenile facility, serving his three-year sentence for the shooting, things in the neighborhood started to change. The Mexican boys from California Street slowly lost their favor with the mostly black Park Hill gang. All over the city, blood gangs were forming their own subsets. Danny and Poncho called their clique the Do Seven and had it tattooed on their arms and chest. Though still under the umbrella of the CMG Bloods, the boys now had a gang to call their own. The gang soon included many of the neighborhood kids they used to run the streets with. Samuel Quintana Jr., the son of Teresa's sister, they called him Zigzag, and Frank Vigil Jr., the son of one of Teresa's best friends. The youngest of the group, just 15, earned the moniker Little Bang. Although Antonio, a talented sketch artist, eventually moved on from the gangster lifestyle and attended college, Danny and Poncho only became more engrossed in it. Still, by the time May 30th of 1997 rolled around, the Do 7 was nearing the end of its ride. Members were still committing crimes, vandalism, theft, drug dealing, in the gang's name. But it was less an organized criminal enterprise and more a band of friends and relatives looking out for one another. Antonio said, by the time all of this happened, there was about five or six guys that hung around together. We were all equals. We just liked doing the same things. Despite their reputation as hardened gangbangers, no one could have foreseen what the Do 7 had in store for young Brandy Duvall indescribable hell. That's how Steven Jackson described Brandy Duvall's final six hours on Earth. Brandy's nightmare materialized shortly after midnight when five Do 7 members, including brothers David and Maurice Warren and Jacob Smiley Casado, spotted her at a bus stop wearing a Chicago Bulls jersey. Seeing her dressed in red, the Bloods pulled over their car and invited her to a party. Too naive to realize she was in terrible danger, Brandy accepted the offer, jumping in the vehicle and beginning the 30-minute ride north on Federal Boulevard into Adams County. They arrived at 3165 West Hawthorne Place, a tiny ranch house that belonged to Jose Martinez or Uncle Joe. Trash and discarded auto parts littered the lawn. Jose Martinez, Teresa's brother, lived at the home with his 10-year-old son and 9-year-old granddaughter, none of whom were awake when a car full of gang members entered the house at 1 a.m. with Brandy Duvall in tow. Hanging out at the home when Brandy arrived were four more members of the Do 7, Danny Martinez, Francisco Martinez, Sammy Quintana, and Frank Vigil. 
Uncle Joe woke up long enough to see the boys bring Brandy to a bedroom in the back of the house. He did not call the police or even attempt to stop them. When Uncle Joe testified in court, he said he feared for his life. The next five hours, wrote Jackson, could only be described as a free-for-all of rape, debasement, and savagery. Members took their turns with the teenage girl, using various objects to assault her. Once they were done, it was Frank Vigil who first suggested they could not risk letting her go and talking to police. The one they called Little Bang said, We've got to dust her. Uncle Joe pleaded with them to reconsider. On the fence over the decision, one member asked Brandy if she knew where she was. She answered correctly, identifying the location as being near Federal and 60th, which likely sealed her fate. At that point, Bang, Zigzag, Poncho, and Little Bang forced Brandy into their car and headed for the mountains. While en route, Brandy begged for her life, telling the gang that she would never go to the cops. It was too late. Like being on a roller coaster, the gang members had started the ride and couldn't stop until it was over. At a turnoff from the highway, in the dead of night, the 14-year-old was pulled from the car, strangled, stabbed over 25 times, and flung over the embankment toward the stream below. And yet Brandy Duvall, her body torn and beaten beyond description, was not dead. She fought to get up on her feet, took a few steps up the embankment, and then collapsed. I was having lunch with a friend recently, and she told me about how she doesn't feel like she has anyone who can listen thoughtfully on an ongoing basis about medical concerns that are troubling her. The thing is, I know she isn't the only person who's looking for this. Then I found out about ZocDoc. It's an app that matches people with the doctor of your dreams, because let's face it, your health deserves a real commitment. Swipe right on your well-being and say hello to ZocDoc, where your ideal healthcare partner is just a click away. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. All of ZocDoc's doctors come with genuine reviews from real, verified patients, not fake bots. The typical waiting period to see a doctor scheduled through ZocDoc is only 24 to 48 hours. You can even snag same-day appointments. Once you've located the doctor you'd like to see, you can secure your appointment with just a few quick taps in the app. No more enduring the awkward wait on hold with a receptionist. I happen to love my current doctor, but it makes me feel comfortable knowing that if I needed to switch doctors for whatever reason, all I have to do is open up the ZocDoc app and find my next doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com murderish and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash murderish. ZocDoc.com murderish.
The coroner would later say that Brandy Duvall took her last breath sometime after 2 a.m. next to Clear Creek, outside of Golden, nearly an hour from downtown Denver. She'd bled to death, and passerbys spotted her body just a day later. News of Brandy Duvall's shocking murder spread through Denver like wildfire. What kind of monster could exact such violence on a 5-foot-tall, 100-pound teenaged girl? The public demanded answers. Investigators with the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department started by interviewing Patrice Newman, Brandy's good friend. Newman admitted that she and Brandy had consumed alcohol and smoked weed on the night in question, but she said she'd left Brandy at the bus station along South Federal Boulevard, and she had not seen her again. The police wondered, where were her clothes? The light blue jeans Brandy had been wearing when her body was found were several sizes too big for her, and otherwise, she was nude. They desperately wanted to find someone who'd seen where Brandy had gone next. Federal Boulevard was a busy thoroughfare. Even at that time of the evening, partygoers strolled the strip malls and parking lots, drug seekers hung out on street corners, gangbangers cruised their lowriders with bass pumping from the trunk. Law enforcement thought somebody had to have seen something. The trail for the killers went cold until June 10th, when an investigator received a tip that broke the case wide open. An informant claimed that a man named Jose Martinez told him that Brandy had been killed by a group of bloods at his home in Adams County. Detectives rushed to the house on West Hawthorne Place to confront Uncle Joe about the allegations. He quickly confessed, telling police that he'd been an unwilling witness to the rape and torture of a teenage girl, naming his nephew Danny Martinez, Poncho Martinez, Frank Vigil, and Sam Quintana as the perpetrators. Jackson wrote, The gang had the devil in them that night, Jose Martinez said and had been unable to stop what they had done to that poor little girl. Jose Martinez said the girl was still alive, begging to be taken to the hospital when they'd finally left his house before dawn. After that, he'd cleaned up and found the girl's clothes, as well as her high school identification card. The name on the card was the same one he'd heard later on the news. When asked whether the girl had left any personal belongings behind, Jose Martinez initially said no, telling police that his nephew Danny and the boy he knew as Zigzag had come over and taken the girl's belongings, including the ID card, a B-shaped diamond pendant, and the bloody mattress where she'd been raped and tortured. But a quick search of the home produced a tiny prayer card hidden beneath the kitchen sink. The prayer card had been a gift from Brandy's mother. According to Jackson, Martinez told detectives that he'd kept it because he liked it and thought he might need something if the police ever showed up. On the card was a short inscription, See, I will not forget you. I have carved you in the palm of my hand. APBs went out on seven due seven members, nearly all of whom were in custody within a week but not Danny, who fled to Mexico and avoided arrest until New Year's Day, 1998, almost seven months later. Four of the seven agreed to plead guilty in exchange for testifying 
against their blood brethren, including Sam Zigzag Quintana, the prosecution's star witness, who'd admitted to both raping and stabbing Brandy. Charged with first-degree murder, first-degree sexual assault, and second-degree kidnapping, 23-year-old Danny Bang Martinez, 25-year-old Francisco Pancho Martinez, and 17-year-old Frank Little Bang Vigil. Also charged, David Warren, Maurice Warren, and Jacob Smiley Casado. According to police, Danny was the shot caller. Although he did not stab Brandy, that job was left to Francisco. He was the man in charge, the one directing the entire horrific show. The trials of the three who refused to admit their crimes or snitch on their fellow gang members were all held separately. Among those to testify at each hearing, Diane Obima, the first officer to arrive on scene when Brandy's body was found, and Alan Simmons, the case's lead investigator. Obima, a 13-year-old veteran of the sheriff's office, told the jury at Frank Vigil's trial how she'd been shocked by the amount of blood around Brandy's body. Jackson wrote, There were places where it soaked into the ground between the rocks, then came out again lower on the slope. Simmons was present when Dr. Ben Galloway conducted Brandy's autopsy. The forensic pathologist had performed approximately 9,000 autopsies during his career and said few were as disturbing as this one. According to Jackson, Galloway counted 28 stab wounds, all made with a sharp, single-edged knife. Some were to her chest, but most, including the fatal wounds, were to her back and neck. Her carotid artery and jugular vein had been pierced. She'd bled to death. Each trial outcome relied on the testimony of known criminals, including those who'd taken part in the brutality against Brandy. Deputy District Attorney Ingrid Box said, Crimes committed in hell do not have angels as witnesses. The only way for the government to give Brandy justice is to make deals with the devils. Juries convicted all three men. Francisco Martinez was sentenced to death. The remaining two, Danny Martinez and Frank Vigil, received life without the possibility of parole. Today, over 25 years since the murder of Brandy Duvall, a white cross with four red roses stands next to Highway 6, outside Golden. Covered in colorful necklaces, flowers, and stuffed animals, it reads in cursive letters, Brandy. Despite receiving the death penalty, Francisco Martinez would see his sentence converted to life without the possibility of parole after a successful appeal in 2003. The decision was a devastating blow to Angela Metzger, who told reporters shortly after, they let me down, they let Brandy down. Angela Metzger died in 2008 from cancer. She was 51. Two decades later, Colorado voters abolished the death penalty. Both Danny and Francisco Martinez will spend the rest of their lives in prison. Currently, the pair reside at Colorado Territorial Correctional Facility outside Pueblo, the state's oldest prison. As for Frank Vigil, he'll be eligible for parole in 15 years. 
In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled in Miller v. Alabama that mandatory life without the possibility of parole sentences for juveniles are unconstitutional. The court held that such sentences violate the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on cruel and unusual punishment. Following the ruling, Jefferson County prosecutors argued unsuccessfully that Vigil should remain imprisoned for the rest of his life because his separate sentences for murder, rape, and kidnapping should have to be served consecutively. With his initial sentence changed to 40 years to life, Vigil will be eligible for parole in 2037 when he's 57. He could be out sooner due to earned time or good behavior. Jackson, who left journalism shortly after the last of the trials, would never be the same. His groundbreaking coverage of the story became a best-selling book, No Angels, The Short Life and Brutal Death of Brandeline Rose Duvall. He said of his experience covering the case, it will haunt me always. As for the book, Jackson quipped, maybe there's something to learn in it about how monsters are made, about the choices that have far-reaching and unintended consequences and the ripple effect of violence. His words remain a testament to one of the ugliest murders in modern American history. He wrote of Angela Metzger in 1999, nine years before her death. She feels only an emptiness that was once filled by a daughter's love. While other parents have scrapbooks detailing their children's accomplishments, she has one filled with newspaper clippings. While other parents can touch their children, hold them close, she has to visit a steel cross at highway mile marker 269.5. Brandy Duvall was laid to rest at Mount Olivet Catholic Cemetery in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Her headstone reads, Brandy, you will always be in my heart. You and I will never be apart. We will always be together in our hearts. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I'm excited to announce that I recently launched a brand new podcast called Lipstick and Lies, along with my co-host, Melissa Moore. On Lipstick and Lies, Melissa and I take turns walking each other through mostly female-centric cases involving lady liars and killers, and we offer our unique perspective as two survivors of crime. Lipstick and Lies is available now in all podcast apps. If you enjoy Murderish, do me the biggest favor by leaving a positive rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. If you'd like to meet me and so many other true crime podcasters, you can at CrimeCon this year. I'll be on Podcast Row at CrimeCon in Orlando from September 22nd to September 24th, 2023. I'll be meeting fans and enjoying the company of so many other true crime podcasters and high-profile people who work in the true crime space. If you're planning to attend CrimeCon, and I hope you are, use my promo code MURDERISH for 10% off a standard badge. Go to CrimeCon.com and use code MURDERISH for 10% off. I really hope to see you there. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at Jamie on Air. That's J-A-M-I on Air on Instagram and TikTok, especially because I recently started a true crime TV club called The Serial Streamers. 
Serial Streamers is just like a book club, only it's a club for people who binge true crime documentaries. If you want to join the Serial Streamers TV club, just follow me on Instagram at jamieonair and watch for videos about the latest TV series we're watching together so you can join us in the comments and share your thoughts on each series. That's at jamieonair on Instagram. Also, I record a video of every Serial Streamers episode on YouTube. So make sure to subscribe to my channel on YouTube at Jamie on Air. If you want access to ad-free episodes of Murderish, sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon, or just go to Murderish.com and search for Murderish there. And then you can start enjoying ad-free episodes right away. Thank you so much to Kim DL, Ham A, and Christy for becoming the latest Murderish Behind the Mic patrons. I appreciate all of your support so much. This episode was researched and written by Kay Brand. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.